Please pray with me. Great are you, Lord, and most worthy of praise. Your greatness is unsearchable. With you is awesome majesty. You are exalted in power. Yet you draw near to us to teach us, guide us, and help us. You send your Holy Spirit to mortify the desires of our flesh and to help us walk according to your will. I pray, God, that you would use me right now to speak the truth of your word with accuracy and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me in my weakness. Crucify my flesh. I am your servant. This I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, in us, and for us. Amen. What does your schedule look like today? Can you squeeze something else in? Or are you booked until late 2025? Life can get so, so busy. Yet there is one thing that we must not ever neglect. Daily time spent drawing near to God. This is the time the Holy Spirit uses to work in us and grow us into the likeness of Christ. Too often, though, when life gets busy, this is the first thing that we cut short or cut out completely. We stop praying. We stop reading God's Word. We stop worshiping. When we fail to do these things, we get out of step with God. We become more worldly than godly. A story about a traveler making a long trek through Africa illustrates this well. This traveler hired some local tribesmen to help carry all of his equipment and luggage. The first day they marched rapidly and covered many miles. The traveler was excited at the progress and he had high hopes for a speedy journey. But a curious thing happened on the second day. Rising early to depart, the tribesmen refused to move. For some strange reason, they just sat and rested. When asked why they were not moving, the tribesmen informed the traveler that they had gone too far on the first day and that they were now waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. The whirlwind that you and I call life does for us what the first march did for the tribesmen. It sends our bodies way ahead of our souls. Our spiritual life weakens and suffers because we are too busy to nurture it. The tribesmen knew what they needed to restore life's balance. Too often, you and I do not. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, Paul speaks about walking or keeping in step with the Spirit. This is a slow, contemplative walk, a walk that requires us to spend deliberate, quality time in God's presence. It is a walk that makes time for your soul to catch up with your body. This is vital for Christians. Because a spirit-led life 
is God's will for all believers. This is the truth that we're going to explore in our two divisions, mortifying flesh and multiplying fruit. So our first division is mortifying flesh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. If you open your Bible, you can follow along with me. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, Paul makes that sound very simple, doesn't he? The question is, how do we walk by the Spirit? Well, first, we need sound doctrine concerning the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some mysterious being or thing. He is a person, and not just any person. He is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. Scripture teaches that he comes to live in or dwell in every believer at conversion. When Jesus ascended to heaven, Acts 2, 3-4 says that the Holy Spirit arrived with a sound that came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Divided tongues like fire appeared and rested on every believer, filling them with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word commonly used to refer to the Holy Spirit is parakletos. In the Bible, this is often translated as counselor or comforter, but it literally means called to one side. The Holy Spirit comes alongside believers to help us. He does not simply give us help. He is our help. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's word for us so that we can grasp it or understand it. He reveals to us the deep things of God and helps us appropriate the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Lord, making those blessings from God real in our lives. As believers, we have in us the very power of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit to strengthen us, sanctify us, and to secure our confidence before God now and forever. And as we learned in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, the Spirit prompts God's children to cry out, Abba, Father. The indwelling Holy Spirit is an incredible, incomparable gift of God's grace. He gives us real liberty in Christ, the freedom to be all God created us to be. Do you know the one who is living in you? Do you understand that he is working in you? Are you walking by the Spirit? Paul tells the Galatians to walk by the Spirit so they will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To walk by the Spirit means yielding or surrendering to the Spirit every day, sometimes every moment of every day. It means listening to the Spirit in God's Word and following the Spirit's guidance by obeying God's Word and applying it to our lives. This does not describe the life of a super-Christian or a deep Christian. This is the life Every Christian is called to live. 
A spirit-led life is God's will for all believers. But there is a tension between God's divine power and a believer's choice. Living a spirit-led life involves a continual choice to walk by the Spirit. We must discipline ourselves to come before the Holy Spirit through the spiritual disciplines or means of grace. These are things that give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to work in us to create new godly desires and give us new power to resist the flesh and please God. The phrase, the desires of the flesh, refer to our fallen human nature or our sin nature. Paul is saying that we must walk by the Spirit to conquer or mortify the flesh. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives believers the power to choose the sphere in which they live. And there are only two choices. Believers either submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit or they gratify their flesh. As we learned in Esther chapter 9, our flesh must be mortified. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. As we daily surrender to God's Spirit in us, He changes us from the inside out. This is a work known as sanctification. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us little by little until we look like Jesus. Surrendering to the Holy Spirit is not easy. This is what Paul says in verse 17. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The Christian life is a fierce battle between two desires that live in us, the desires of the Spirit and the desires of the flesh. These two desires are opposed to each other. They have competing agendas. The Spirit wants you to grow into the image of Jesus, and the flesh wants you to rebel against God in everything he commands. The flesh aims to keep believers from doing what they want to do or doing what they know to do. Paul speaks about his own battle in, in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. This is the passage where he says, I do not do what I want to do, and I do what I do not want to do. What a wretched man I am. You and I are in the same kind of war against sin. Believers are constantly assaulted by the temptations of the world, the devil, and the flesh. There is no room for complacency. We must remain engaged in the battle to actively kill all temptation. Remember John Owen's counsel, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Our battle against sin is an intense, ongoing war, and it is a war that we will not escape until Christ returns in glory. But not all is lost. Victory 
is ours by way of a well-fought, spirit-led battle. We must also walk by the Spirit to be free from the law. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We cannot pit our own will against the flesh and expect to win. We must be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. In this verse, Paul literally says, if we are willingly led by the Spirit, then we are not under the law. The Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill the law. He writes God's law on our hearts so that we desire to obey it. This obedience is motivated by love, not a desire to look good or earn favor. That is the desire of the flesh. Being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are the opposite of yielding to the desires of the flesh. In fact, a Spirit-led life is empowered for the constant battle against the desires of the flesh. Our first truth is that a Spirit-led life is empowered for the constant battle against the desires of the flesh. How are you doing in your fight against the desires of your flesh? Which sins have you begun to mortify? Are you killing your sin in your own strength or in the Spirit's strength? Believers must rely on the Holy Spirit to kill sin. Nothing else will work in the battle against the desires of the flesh. Like the African tribesmen, we must slow down, surrender our busyness, and make time for the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. Our bodies need to make time for our souls to be nourished during quality time spent with God each day. As we do, his spirit keeps us walking in step with him and works to mortify all that is opposed to him. A spirit-led life is empowered for the constant battle against the desires of the flesh. In our next division, Paul contrasts living surrendered to the desires of the flesh with living surrendered to the spirit. He shows us that the result of surrendering to the Spirit is multiplying fruit. That's our second division, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 26. Verse 19 through 21a, Paul lists many nasty vices that come from the flesh, saying, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All this sinful behavior is on the mortification list. When the works of the flesh are evident, in behaviors like this, 
they must be crucified, mortified. Christians are called to put these vices off by putting them to death. Paul's addendum and things like these tells us that this is not even a comprehensive list. As awful as this list is, there is more. Similar lists are found elsewhere in scripture, and they include things like evil thoughts, theft, murder, coveting, deceit, pride, foolishness, gossip, maliciousness, insulin, disobedience, uh, faithlessness, unholiness, following false teaching, abusiveness, ungratefulness, greediness, living without self-control, not loving good, loving pleasure rather than God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, and so on and on and on. Mark chapter 7 verse 23 says that all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Did I list the stubborn habitual sin that persistently crops up in your life? All the works of the flesh arise from a problem with our hearts. You and I need to wait on the Holy Spirit in times of confession and repentance. The Holy Spirit's power is necessary to mortify your sin and mine. Those who refuse and willfully practice these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. The last part of verse 21, Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, willful sin was known as high-handed sin. Numbers chapter 15 says that these sins are not covered by the sin offering. There is no atonement available for them. R.C. Sproul says that this is sin a professing believer commits boldly and defiantly, not caring about the consequences and feeling no guilt about it once committed. It is a sin people commit fearlessly as they shake their fist, literally or figuratively, at the Lord. A sin committed with a high hand is not always the same thing as an intentional sin. All high-handed sins are intentional, but not all intentional sins are high-handed. Sproul carefully differentiates between true believers and those who merely profess belief. He says only those who are unconverted or not true believers may sin with a high hand. For a converted person or a believer will express sorrow and contrition after an intentional sin. Sorrow and contrition. That is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. He assures true believers that despite their sin, they still belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit draws us Godward to the Spirit-led walk that is God's will for all believers. 
He not only enables us to overcome the desires of the flesh, he enables us to bear fruit. Verses 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When believers wait on the Spirit, his soul fruit catches up with their bodies. This fruit is already the possession of every believer because every believer possesses the indwelling Holy Spirit. When he indwells believers, he brings a house gift, fruit. Now, it is important to distinguish, distinguish the gift of the Spirit, which is salvation, and the gifts of the Spirit, which are related to service, from the graces of the Spirit, which relate to Christian character. The graces of the Spirit are the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit is singular. Every believer has this one fruit from the Spirit, but it has nine facets, consisting of nine virtues God wants developed in his children. Commentator James Dunn says these virtues give us a character sketch of Christ. As such, this list, like the list of vices, is not comprehensive. The Holy Spirit shapes and sanctifies believers in every way into Christ-likeness. There are two aspects to a believer's sanctification, mortification and vivification. Putting off or putting our sin nature to death is mortification. We talked about that last week. Putting on or bringing our regenerate nature to life is vivification. Both aspects must go together. John Calvin says, The death of the flesh is the life of the spirit. When Paul lists the nine virtues, he begins with love. This is the first virtue that the spirit gives believers. Paul uses the Greek word agape, which means divine love. This love is God's gift to us. Romans 5, 5 says that he pours his love into our hearts. Spirit-led believers express a sincere love for God and for others. This love is foundational. All the other facets of the Spirit's fruit are an outgrowth of this divine love. The second virtue the Spirit gives us is joy, an unshakable joy rooted in our eternal identity in Christ and not dependent on our circumstances. Because we possess this joy, we are called to rejoice always in all things. The third virtue is peace. Believers have the peace of God and peace with God because of Christ's finished work on the cross. Because they are ruled by this peace, spirit-led believers are called and empowered to be peacemakers. The fourth virtue is patience. 
Spirit-led believers have the ability to endure adversity and persecution. They remember God's patience toward them, and they pray for the Spirit to empower them with the same patience in difficult situations and with difficult people. This is hard. Our flesh is very impatient, but all believers have the Holy Spirit's patience. We need to put our impatience to death and put on the Spirit's patience. We must prayerfully and practically learn how to appropriate it or make it a tangible part of our lives. The fifth virtue is kindness. Believers imitate and reveal Christ through kindness. This speaks of a constant readiness to help and to extend God's grace through practical and caring actions like service, generosity, and hospitality. The sixth virtue, goodness, speaks of doing deeds, good deeds and generosity. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says that believers should do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Spirit-led believers are good to all, just like their Father, God. The seventh virtue is faithfulness. Believers are called to be loyal, reliable, and dependable. They act like their Heavenly Father by keeping their word and fulfilling their promises. This is especially difficult in Christian service when opposition from our flesh, the world, and the devil fight against us. We must be led by and empowered by the Spirit to be faithful Christians. The eighth virtue is gentleness. Jesus is a gentle Savior. He invites the weary to come and rest in him. We imitate Jesus as we are gentle toward those who are troubled, hurting, and weary. The word gentleness is also translated meekness. This does not mean weak. It means power under control or humility. Rather than use our power over others for selfish gain, we use it for selfless good. The ninth virtue is self-control. As they walk by the Spirit, believers are disciplined, able to resist temptation. They gain mastery over the desires of their flesh. This was vividly illustrated in the battle between Haman's decree of death and Mordecai's decree of, flesh, of life. In Esther 9, um, chapter 9, verse 1, it says the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, but the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. Spirit-led Christians are self-controlled and always in pursuit of victory over their sin nature. At the end of verse 23, Paul says, Against such things there is no law. Although the fruit of the Spirit cannot be produced by the law, the Spirit is not lawless. And although we are not under the law, our Christian liberty does not lead to license. 
It leads to godliness. Philip Graham Riken says that the spirit increasingly changes the habits of the heart to produce a rich harvest of loving obedience. Paradoxically, the life that the spirit produces in us conforms to the very law that cannot justify us. The fruit of the Spirit is ours in Christ, but its virtues should be growing in us in increasing measure. We must be multiplying fruit. We can because verse 24 says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who have identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection have already crucified the flesh. It's already dead. Our responsibility is to believe this and act on it. In Romans chapter 6, Paul calls this reckoning. It is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Warren Wearsby says that the Holy Spirit is not only the spirit of life, he is also the spirit of death. He helps us reckon ourselves dead to sin. When we do this, we can live by the Spirit. And verse 25 says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To remain fruitful, believers must keep in step with the Spirit. We cannot allow our bodies to run ahead and away from the Spirit. Our souls catch up with our bodies when we make time for the Holy Spirit to work His life in us. The Galatians had fallen out of step with God's Spirit. They were genuine believers, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But the temptation of the Judaizers was causing them to stumble. Back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul asked them, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The Holy Spirit lives in every believer but it is the believer's responsibility to keep on living in the Spirit. The Greek term that Paul uses for keeping in step is a military term for following orders while staying in formation. Soldiers, they line up and they stay in line as they march. They keep formation. And they stay in that formation not only as they march, but as they run. As their commanding officer gives the orders, keeping in step is their only concern. The same is true for believers. The Holy Spirit gives the orders, and we concern ourselves with keeping in step with the Spirit. This takes discipline. We must commit to walking with the Spirit every day until it becomes a holy and beloved habit. The more we keep in step with the Holy Spirit through spiritual disciplines like prayer, the word, and worship, the more fruitful we become. Paul ends this section with another warning or encouragement to fight 
against the flesh. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is another reminder that these sins and every other sin must be mortified. This prepares the soil and cultivates the right atmosphere to bear fruit. This brings us to our second truth. A spirit-led life is equipped to bear good fruit. As you compare Paul's list of vices with the list of virtues, how does your life measure up? Which side is winning the battle, your flesh or the spirit? What will you do differently to nurture the spirit's sanctifying work in you? None of us can bear good fruit on our own. Sin still lurks in our hearts. The desires of our flesh are strong and contaminated with sinful, self-centered desires that do not please God. Like Paul, we are wretched. Thanks be to God for sending our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us from our bodies of death. And thanks be to God for the Holy Spirit who mortifies our vices and vivifies his virtues. A spirit-led life is equipped to bear good fruit. Are you equipped to do that? How are you keeping in step with the spirit? Ask yourself, what does my schedule look like? Can I squeeze God in? The busyness of daily life can cause our bodies to leave our souls behind. As the African tribesmen sat waiting, I wondered how they knew when their souls caught up with their bodies. But you and I need not wonder. We wait on the Holy Spirit. Every day we pray, we saturate our souls with God's word, and we worship God. We discipline ourselves to listen for the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. When we do, He shows us the way in which we should go, live, and think. Spend some quiet time in the presence of God's Spirit today. Let your soul catch up with your body. Ask God to create or grow in you the Spirit-led life that is His will for all believers. That is a prayer request He delights to answer. Please pray with me. Lord God, You are faithful to all Your promises. You have given us the incomparably precious gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit to mortify the desires of our flesh and to help us live according to your Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are faithful to guide us to the place of submission and surrender 
so that we might receive all that we need to keep in step with you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and the strength we need to continue living submitted and surrendered to your spirit. By your help, may we always live for your glory alone. This we ask in the precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.